You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I'm here with uh, my companions of mystery, Mr. Dan and Mr. Jason. Hello. Yeah, baby. I tried to do that off the fly. It really didn't work out well. (laughs) I tried to do an international man of mystery. I just failed badly. (laughs) I was thinking like Dan Watson and Jason Holmes. It didn't work. Yeah. No. So anyway, uh, for our audience, they're probably like, what are you talking about, Justin? It's because we're going to be talking about planning a mystery session in your RPG group and what you need to do to have a good mystery. Ooh, a mystery, you say? Ooh. Be a gumshoe. A mystery. <laughs> a game right. foot. Exactly. So, Dan, how was your geek week? I was almost non-existent. Oof. Not a lot to report. I binged a lot of The Expanse. Ooh, where are you? Where, are you? where are you? I'm at the tail end of season three. I thought I'd been reporting that I finished season two for all these months now. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, I got through season two. Apparently, I didn't. I got through like three episodes. So I had to finish oh. all of season two and then start season three. I'm almost done. It holds up so freaking well. And the more episodes you get, the better it gets. So hoping all the rest of the seasons hold up just as well. But So I got to – I just finished season two today. Which was great. It was fantastic. And um, I think season three was the last one with sci-fi, and then seasons four and five Amazon picked up, right? That's the Amazon money. So I'm curious to see if there's a thing. But listen, I uh, when, did, when did this come out? Came out, like, what, like six years ago? Dude, I had the IMDP t- uh, page up today, like, a couple minutes, like, an hour ago. Yeah, but my point is, is that um, I sometimes when you watch a sci-fi show, it's a little more like sliders than it is like a high, you know, high value sci-fi show. And uh, there's probably going to be people out there being like, I love sliders. Listen, I liked sliders, too. Nobody didn't like sliders. The problem was, is it was 90s cheese. And that was kind of like sci-fi channel specialty. In fact, you watch some of their stuff, you know, even now, like the magicians that came out, like mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the, the special effects are like, okay, this is a little yeah. And the librarian, you know? I could never watch librarians. Cause I'm like, I just can't get into this. <laughs> yeah. But you look at the expanse and I'm blown away by the sci-fi 2015. Like CGI. To, to 2015 okay. is season one. So they're, they're going strong. Yeah, um, I'm I'm blown away by the special effects and CGI that that uh, sci-fi dropped into this thing. Like, it's a huge step up from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, and... well, they're 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 standing on those shoulders. Quite oh, frankly. absolutely. And I mean, and I fully recognize that it's 15 years after Battlestar Galactica too. So yeah. Oh you know, yeah. I mean, I, I I totally get that. But my point is, is that it is a solid show. Solid yeah. show. Solid acting. Great plots. Great writing. characters. The writing, writing is fantastic. Good. Yeah, yeah, big fan of this so, show. So, uh, from the from the uh, special effect point of view, uh, Battlestar did a lot of really important things that Expanse uses. First of all, the lighting cues are almost identical. Second, uh-huh. um, they use it. You know, a lot of the camera work looks like there's a camera in space that can get bumped and and jiggled and rattled. You know. Uh, mm-hmm. That was something that was very new and unique to, to Battlestar when it first came out, yeah, which was like, oh, you know. 
Um, but it gives you kind of a real kind of gritty, you're there feeling. And it, 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 it's good. It's all good. Check it I'm out. A, I'm a big fan of the space physics that they apply in the show, too. Oh, you know, yes. they, they could easily not do half of the stuff that they do. Um, but, like, when, when uh, one guy is kind of piloting the ship, and he's deciding to use the gravitational pulls from some of the different moons to flip yeah. around. Like, the the ship's just tumbling around. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it would do in space. And, and it's not just, like, the, you know, Enterprise just flying along, you know. Um, yeah. Spaceships don't have to move like race cars, yeah. quite frankly. And the fact that they do is always kind of weirded me out just a little Babylon 5 did a nice job of that too is really accounting yeah. for zero g but expanse does a great job you can see a huge gigantic gigantic capital ship spit on its own axis slowing down it has to f- flip with the engines pointed the direction it's going to slow down yep. all that good stuff um yeah that that part is great i'm i'm, I'm all about that yeah it's fantastic so i'm glad you're watching it i gotta catch up to you now uh, well, you started watching it. I had to. I have to keep ahead of you. <laughs> oh, awesome. my other geek thing is is almost non-existent. I I'm, I'm fired up on Umbrella Academy. I know I mentioned it last time, but it's also one of my <laughs> my spouse released me from uh, waiting for her to watch the next episode. So nice. I am plowing ahead binge style. So I, yeah. I'm those two shows are competing on, from on my binge brain. That's all I got. Umbrella Academy is really good. That's some good writing in that one too. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, like. I enjoyed I enjoyed that. It's, my my uh, spouse gave me permission to finish Legion without her because she was just like, "Yeah, this is blowing my brain up." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Legion. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I watched the the trailer for Legion. I'm like, that just blew my brain up. It's just a <laughs> it, yeah. It's it's a wonky show. It's fun though if you like that kind of weird stuff. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, Umbrella Academy's good. Definitely. Who's How about next? you, Jason? How was your geek week? I had fun. Um, so I have a, an electric drum kit I've talked about a few times here and there. Uh, the Alicia's uh, Surge Mesh Kit. And I've already had to send it in for repairs. By the way, if you ever get anything from um, something big like that from uh, uh, Guitar Center, absolutely pay for the pro coverage. Especially something mm-hmm. you're going to be thrashing. Because I paid for the pro coverage at the advice of a friend. And it's already paid for itself so many times off of really? the wear and tear I put on that drum kit. Oh yeah, very wise. I've yep, very wise. But uh, my snare drum stopped working uh, first, uh, probably about a year and a half ago. Sent it in for repair, got it back after a little bit of a fiasco. Got it back, um, and it's been fine for about a year. And it just the other night it started kind of going wonky again. I was like, oh crap. So then I was like, but you know what? I can do this myself. So I just put it on the table, opened it up, got the soldering iron, the tools out. Open it up, and I was like, I almost had one of those moments like, who in the right mind considered this a repair when I got my eyes on it? <laughs> it was just <laughs> like the snot, the engineering snot me was like, Whoa, I can do better than that. So I just, I fixed it in about five minutes. And nice. uh, it's working good as new. So, you know, definitely worth the warranty coverage if you do not know how to repair stuff yourself. But even with that, um, my biggest repair is when I, uh, my, my kick pad um i i hit it too hard and i just i burst through the kick pad and totally tore through the mesh and just damaged the trigger behind it would have been about a 130 dollar repair um and the warranty itself was just under 130 for five years so it, that repair alone uh totally paid for itself nice. so i'm happy my friend uh admonished me to do that 
The other thing I did was um, I've been doing a lot of coding on a side project and learning how to do um, install stuff up in the AWS cloud. Yeah. Um, and all of the different services that they have up there. Um, the ones. So I've got a. I've got some. You know, some RESTful APIs running that are calling Lambda functions and writing data to the DynamoDB databases, and that's about all I know. Was everything I just said. So, <laughs> but there is so much stuff there. It is quite a world of cloud-based computing. But I think it's really cool that you know I basically you can take a Python or a whatever application you want to run, and you can just say, well, I can run this on my computer in my house you know, all the time. Or I can just throw it up onto some cloud service out there in the nether and let it run for me without uh, any of the com any of the compute resources in my home being consumed. And it's just available. And the AWS has free tiers. And I'm not, obviously, I'm not, um, I'm not advertising for AWS. I just, if you're a hobbyist and you like to code and you like to get code projects out there that interface with the world, but you don't want to consume your compute resources in your home, Especially um, if you don't have many compute resources in your home, like yeah, that's the, the average thing. laptop isn't going to be cutting it for some of this stuff. Well, and the and the thing was is that my compute, my main computer, which is a pretty big workhorse, is in my bedroom, and uh, I don't want it. I just don't want it running twenty four seven. So right. I threw something. Yeah. I opened up a you know a cloud compute resource on AWS and threw my little app up in there and let it run for three days and uh you know i can shut my computer off at home without worrying about it so anyways That's it's a lot true. of fun pay by the drink yeah pay by the drink it's and you know what the thing is though is that they are they make so much bank off of the big guys that us little guys that are just doing hobby project it doesn't cost us anything and i don't mean like it's cost me 50 cents i mean it literally costs me nothing zero yeah yeah because they're 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 um they're free tier allows so much resources based on what a hobbyist would do versus yeah. what for a business it's like oh gosh that's nothing but for a hobbyist you know that only makes like you know maybe 30,000 calls a month on something uh and when you get a million only. free calls yeah well you get a million free calls to a lambda function in the free tier oh, a month nice. and i'm like i've like 30,000 is like the max i'm like i don't even know if i'm ever going to get break a thousand so it's just <laughs> like i'm like hey this is pretty cool but anyways, that's my geek week. Just having fun. Nice. Good about stuff, you? dude. Uh, so I've been painting my Caradron Overlords Warband for Warcry. It's just a bunch of dwarves. I had had a box of Arcanauts, which is basically your you know battle line basic troop guys. Um, and then I had also picked up, as part of my post-Christmas thing, uh, the actual Warcry box. So I'm finishing them up. I've got them probably 75% the way there. I just need to get them done because I have a problem, Jason. Yes, you do. <laughs> I uh, decided you to need reach to play out. more Warcry. Yes, that's true. Uh, I have a problem and I need more cowbell. That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a fever. Yeah, and that's that right. fever's name is cowbell. So I reached out to uh, my friend Dutch Adams with uh, Crimson Fields Gaming. Uh, you can check him out on Facebook. Uh, one of the cool things about Dutch is that he does a lot of trading in secondhand models and uh, armies. So people will give him their their uh, armies or models to sell secondhand, and he gets a cut off the top if he gets them sold. Um, and as I was browsing through there, I saw three things that caught my eye um one was a double-sized uh war cry band uh, the splintered fang they're kind of like they look like greek soldiers um but they've got snakes and poison 
It's kind of cool. Um, the other one is called the uh, the Unmade, and they are from Shaish, the Realm of Death, and they are kind of freaky. They've cut off their arms and legs and put in like metal posts, like things like that, and they've got like they've cut off their faces and stretched them out over their armor, their own faces. So uh, they're no. yeah, it's, it's super dark, kind of freaky, um, but they're kind of cool. And um, and then the last thing I got was the um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting their names right now, but they're the one from uh, Haish. They're the uh, anyway, they got this kind of uh, Oriental like um, uh, vibe going on with like fan, you know, like Oriental fans and just kind of those geometric shapes. But they're also a Chaos War band. I don't think we can and... say Oriental anymore. I think it's Asian, man. You, well, can't say, you can't say Oriental. oriental and, fans. No, no, that, yeah. that that word's been that's verboten. No way. You gotta say Asian. I'm sorry. I'm saying Oriental still. You can't oh. say Oriental. You can't say Gypsy. You can't. I mean, we just, just lost our list. our second to our last listener. Well, it's <laughs> dude. It's about it's about education. Now here here's the thing is I'm saying Oriental to describe a thing, not a person. So there you go. Boom. I, Maybe I hope I'm wrong. Let me just say that I hope I'm wrong. There's still the Oriental Express out there, isn't there? Can you say Oriental noodles? Oh dang, that's like a package thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right. (laughs) So anyway, my point is, is that I got these um, retail for all of these things uh, because of the double lots would have cost me two hundred and fifty dollars, and I got them all for a hundred and twenty. Yeah, it's amazing. So, so yeah. super good deal. Yeah. So, so are you going to play $128 worth of Warcry pretty soon? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Nervous, oh, yeah. Jason. He will. No, 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 no. That was a good question. That was a good question. Are you? Yes. Of course. Can I right. be invited? Yes. Dude, we should. Absolutely. Let's have a Warcry. Let's have another Warcry day. We need to. We need to have another Warcry night. Yeah. So. For our, for our listeners out there, we are going to have another Warcry night. Yeah. Although, um, I guess most of our listeners are probably our close friends that already live in Virginia. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> so you're on notice, boys. <laughs> right. We already know who we've offended earlier in the show. <laughs> right, right. So I'm not going to lie to you, Justin. I, I just, I'm not a big fan of the Caradon. How do you say it? Caradon. Caradon Overlords, yeah. Caradon Overlords. I feel like they're boring, the models. The whole army is a little boring to me. Yeah, they they're the so they're the steampunk esque like dwarves, and I I will say that they don't fit in Age of Sigmar. Mm-mm. And I think that's probably why you find them a little boring, right? They just don't... it is. They just don't feel right. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like it hits the theme. And here's the other reason is, and I'm sure that there there are some variations a little mm-hmm. bit, but they I mean all the models they really kind of all look the same. They do. There I'm is the big them. ships. There are the right. There are the big ships, which are cool, yep. right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, kind of at the end of the day, they kind of all just kind of look like the same. Now, another example of this that I think is done well is the uh, Skaven. So the Skaven, they're yep. all rats, but yep. there's enough diversity in that model base. Yeah. To make it still be interesting, and it's Ratman, so it totally fits in with Age of Sigmar. Yeah, you've got the you know you've got like the um the uh uh storm storm uh, uh fiends 
the, you got the storm fiends and the rat ogres were like giant rats. You got the um the ratlings, little, little ratlings. You got clan rats. You have the um the ones in the armor that look like Roman legion. Yeah, uh, can't remember what their names are right offhand. I'm I'm blanking tonight, bad. But you've got you do you have a lot of model diversity, even though they're all rats. Uh, yeah, and mm-hmm. I I think so. I think that the the steampunk theme for the Caradron Overlords is maybe their downfall because they all have the same metal masks, you know, and the same kind of metallic armor and, you know, kind of uh, flight suit thing going on. And it doesn't matter if you're a heavy hitter, elite troop or a battle line guy, they're all wearing the same suits essentially. I think like if they were all on a on a table, like the uniform uniformity is that the word, uniformity. Sure, uniformity. That sounds yeah, right. Yeah, uniformity of the of the army would probably look pretty cool, especially if it's like all metallic from a distance. You're like, oh wow, that looks kind of cool. Right. But when you start getting into it, like they're all kind of the same. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm glad I'm just painting the Warcry box and not yeah. you know not. They, a lot of different things. They look like they're trying a little too hard to be Space Marines and Warcry. Can I say that and it, out loud? It's kind of, yep, no, absolutely. Um, and I'll tell you this, I, I have a friend, we have, had a friend, uh, I have is, a friend. He's dead He now. still is our friend. Yeah, <laughs> uh, who, who does a good job making them interesting because he, he does a lot with, like, the bases and, you know, like, making yeah. them hang off columns and pillars but I guess the point there is that he is heavily having to heavily augment the army to make it interesting. Yeah. To me, yeah. at least. Yeah. But he does yeah, a good no, job making it interesting. Well, it's the other thing with him is that he um, has like learned the lore so deep. So he right. has really created a theme around his army that um, is very um, unique to him. You know, I mean, not necessarily to him, but like he's most everyone would just like paint some metallics on these things and call them a day. Like he's really trying to put that theme into their, um, into their persona a little bit. Um, I actually reached out to him and said, okay, like what are the different, um, clans, uh, you know, or sky ports is what they call them of KO. And he was sharing like a whole bunch of different ones for me. And I chose one that I thought would fit with Warcry. They're like the treasure hunter seekers. You mm-hmm. know, and um, so I'm painting mine that way. Like they've got kind of a blue metallic helmet and shoulder plat, okay. shoulder pads with like a purple, with a purple uh, jumpsuit. And um, it, they're they're looking really good. I I really like them. And uh, you know, it's going to be kind of thematic for Warcry. Like I'm saying that they're going into the eight points to like look for treasure. I think it'll be great for Warcry. I mean, the whole point of Warcry oh, yeah. is it's a small little group, right? So you don't get overwhelmed by the. Uh... By the uh, the army, the feeling yep. of the army. It's just a small little tactical squadish type thing. Yep, yep. So it'll be good. I'm excited about it. It'll be a different play style too, because they're all shooty shooty. Yeah, dude. How about that new Bellacor model? Oh my gosh! Wow. So Warhammer came out with a new Bellacor model, which he is the first demon prince in the mm-hmm. Chaos realm. Yep. And uh, what that means is he is a mortal man who had ascended to the role of demonic prince through bad deeds. And, and, then, he, and then he pissed off the gods or something, right? Yeah, something like that. But uh, anyway, I, I, to be honest yeah. with you, I'm not too deep in the lore. Um, but he, uh, before, was a model that was probably about, you know, three inches high, 
um, was on a like a, a forty millimeter base maybe, which yeah. is you know if you if you put your if you put your forefinger to your thumb, it's probably about that that big of a base. Well, they just came out with the model, and he's probably a good twelve inches tall, and <laughs> yeah, he's he on a giant dinner plate of a base. Like yeah. it's humongous. It's. I'm really happy. I, I think I because I was going to do a um um. God, which book is he in? Is he in the Slaves of Darkness book? He's in Slaves of Darkness, yeah. Yes. So I was going to do a Slaves of Darkness army for a while. Um, and I kept looking at him thinking, man, I'd, I'd love the theme of this guy. I'd love to do something around this guy. But I kept looking at his model thinking, I don't want to paint that or build that. that yeah. It doesn't match up with what he is. And now I look at this and I'm like, oh, my gosh, they are bringing this guy back into the picture. And what's, uh, what's interesting is that um, he – so Warhammer has – like the Warhammer 40k and Age of Sigmar share the Chaos Demons, so right. Corn, Nurgle, um, Zinch, and um, Slanesh, like they exist in both in both realms, right? And so what's cool about this model because he's a de- you know a demon prince um, on the base, you can either put a Age of Sigmar, dead guy at his feet, or a Space Marine, dead guy at his feet. Yeah. Like, depending yep. on which uh, one you want to use it for. So, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's massive. And it's freaky deaky. It is amazing yeah. detail. I mean, it's it's one of those models that um, when it hits the table, it's going to be beautiful. Like, uh, what's his name? Um, Archeon. Uh, yeah, when Archeon model, for, uh, new model came out when Slave of Darkness was released. Every time he hit the table, it was just always an awe drop, right? Yeah, everyone's he, like, "Wow!" I think and this guy's gonna be the same. He's he's as big as Archeon. Yeah, rightfully so, so. Yeah, I mean, humongous, right? Like, good, have fun transporting him. How much do you think it's gonna cost? Two hundred dollars. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm almost positive. Archeon's one hundred and eighty. So yeah. I think he's gonna come out at two hundred. And those and those mega gargants, which is about the size of this guy, they were all like two hundred dollars. Archeon so. is riding some kind of dragon. Three headed dragon, yeah. Sweet. Yep. Wow, we went down a rabbit hole there. <laughs> we did. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, other than I started God of War on the PS4, because remember last week uh, my brother had sent me the PS4. Oh yeah. So I I picked it up and I started playing God of War. And, it's a great um, great series. Yeah, I hadn't played any of the other games. This is just the one that came out in 2017 or something like that. You know, like the newest, like, God of War. Um, and uh, I will say this. I feel like, it. like, when I play it, it feels like I'm playing, um, feels very similar to the Fallen Jedi game. In terms of, like, play style and kind of the way that you kind of work your way through different levels and you got to come back and solve different things and things like that. So it, it, it's got a lot of feel from the same mm-hmm. style as, uh, you know, I mean, if you were to put a star Wars skin on a God of war, it'd probably be very similar to fallen Jedi, I guess is what I'm saying. So have you played any of the uncharted yet? No, but they're on there. I've got all of them. Apparently. Those are great. Those are, that's a great game series. Yeah. 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 My, yeah. My brother is hooking me up. Yep. Sweet. <laughs> so, I also have the Ghost of Tsushima. Um, uh, yep. Mm-hmm. On there, and uh, let's see what else he does. He have on there Last of Us One and Two. Right. Um, yep. Got to play those. Gotta yeah. Those. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is on there. I've not played that one. Yeah. So, 
What's what's great about all of this is that um, it's in his digital library, and he left himself signed in on purpose. So when I create my profile, I can play all the games that are downloaded on the machine, and I can go into his profile and download all the other ones from his digital library. Yep, there you go. So it's great. Happy so, birthday to me. Thanks, Mason. Are you going to still get the next Xbox? I'm planning on it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If I could ever find one, do you have to okay. murder someone to get one down? I mean, I've it's been still... on I've been on the yeah. websites and they're like, "Yeah, we had one yesterday." They, or, yeah, you know, we had them yesterday. They sold out in six minutes. Yeah, I keep I yeah exactly. I keep seeing that too. And then you look on eBay and they're all there for like eight hundred dollars. And I'm like, it's not worth eight hundred dollars to me. Like this is the market. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's gonna get to a point where nobody's willing to pay eight hundred dollars, and then all of a sudden they'll be worth six hundred dollars, and then they will sit on the shelves a little bit longer. So, yep. It's all right. I'll, I'll get one. Uh, yeah, I don't think you have to murder somebody for it, but maybe uh, kidnap them and torture them a little bit. Because they can have my money if they'll just print enough of them. Right? Exactly. What are they waiting how I feel for? About it. Uh, I, think it, I think that... Uh, Probably the they, graphics chipsets, in my opinion. Probably yeah, the QC I, on, the, on the graphics chips. Um, uh, I not think the QC. I think just production. Because, supply. Yeah. Yeah. It dies. Well, if well, you get online now, it's hard to get any. It's hard yeah. to. There is not a surplus of graphics cards. Do you want to know why that is? It's Dan, crypt- do you want to know why that is? Of course it's, I do. It's crypto mining. <laughs> so apparently, um, in China, there's huge, huge crypto mining farms that use uh-huh. like um, graphic cards. And so that's our why, games. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I've got a hardcore gamer friend at work, and he's like, I cannot get the graphics card I want. It just is not, like, it's never available. And he's like, I will spend the money. I don't care how much it is. It's just never available. And um, they're all being eaten up and grabbed real quick, like, and sent to China to mine, uh, mine Ethereum. That combined, I think, honestly, with COVID, uh, we're – we are starting to see, at least at my in my industry, um, we are starting to see increased delays from silicon manufacturers. Um, oh, that it's like the ripple effect of COVID is finally coming down the pipe as people are clearing out their inventory and realizing that they don't they're not making fast enough based right. off of their uh, the things they had to do for COVID. Uh, we had a part, uh, just an example. We had a part that was a. I think it started at a 16-week lead, which is which is typically what this kind of a part is. And um, at what point it went to a 52-week lead? Oh my gosh! From 16 weeks, I think now we're down to 25. But still, it's just like it. I mean, they're absolutely starting to see the effects of their backlog hitting them. Yeah. But anyway, that's crazy. That's this crazy. Is our yeah. World. And I mean, I you know, like uh, Xbox is using the AMD chipset now, right? And AMD is just getting. I mean, the demand for their chips, their uh, their graphics cards and all that stuff are just like out of control. So I I think that's a little bit of it, too. I also think that Xbox has kind of strategically wanted to trickle this out to keep interest really high, you know, for a while. Um, I, I don't think they wanted. I think it that to ship go... has sailed, though, though, man. No, it's I totally like, agree. I don't yeah. think they wanted it to go quite this slow, but. Yeah. Um, okay. 
but uh, I do think that in the beginning they're like, hey, if we can spread this out through the holidays at least, do you know what I mean? Or even sure, just yeah. after the holidays. But here we are, it's March, and you're having trouble still finding it. So Yeah, it's like they're competing against their older devices that are available today. Doesn't that seem a little dumb? Uh, I mean, do they well, have so much? I mean, I mean, with COVID, people bought game systems left and right. Everybody upgraded, and I'm sure supply must be at all time low. I mean, what? What's? I, I, you guys explained the whole thing with you know Chinese crypto mining, and that makes logical sense, as irritating as it is. Yeah. Well, I will say this too. Um, uh, the nice thing is that there haven't been a lot of. Um, next-gen game releases for the uh, Xbox Series X or S. So those are all going to be coming out in the next six months to a year. So I think that the delay hasn't been um, too traumatic for Xbox because you could still play a lot of those games that came out on the older system and be fine with it. Um, But, you know, once the new-gen games come out, people are going to want those, so... Yeah, we'll see. I mean, come on. We'll I mean, every, every day they don't have my money is another day they lose, you know, or other people. There's tons of people that want to spend money to get these. It's like supply meet demand. It's not that difficult. I just want to buy it for MSRP. I just don't want to go on the second hand market and pay twice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got gotcha. you. So, Me too. I'm not blaming you, Justin. Well, you know, since I'm acting as the spokesman. Yeah, you're you're the you're, you're the apologist. Yeah, <laughs> I hate exactly. that phrase. You're just an apologist. I hate that. <laughs> Anytime somebody says apologist in front of me, I I cancel them. I tune out. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Well, uh, let's get to the news, Dan. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's news time from tabletop and beyond. oh that's fantastic that was royalty free by the way so i like it in dungeons and dragons movie news a new cast member has been announced for the big screen adaptation of the role-playing game hugh grant from love actually four weddings and a funeral and Notting hill and many other amazing films where he plays the awkwardly charming british person in an american rom-com has been cast as the villain of the film. And in the first right. bit of plot-related information, we have the name of this character via Vulture, Forge Fletcher. All right. Let's, let's this, is a, this is a comedy, right? This I was is gonna say, D&D. <laughs> have movie. we turned this into the rom-com? I mean, is he the charming British man that has swooped in to take the uh, love interest away from our main character? Is that what's happening? You know, dude, you never know, man. The uh, we all saw, we've all seen Tenet, right? <laughs> yes. Kenneth Kenneth Branagh played quite a different character in that. Well, time out. He also played a Hamlet and was kind of a badass in that. Okay. Yeah. Like that's true. He, what uh, well, is Hugh it, this Grant... is also Kenneth Branagh. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So I am. So, when I heard this, I almost fell out of my chair because. Hugh Grant, his age, his kind of look, his kind of Britishness really matched Jeremy Irons' year 2000 portrayal of the character Profion in the first D&D movie. 
So I, the whole thing just made my skin crawl. It's like Americans reaching out to actors with British accents who will accept big paychecks to solve a gravitas problem in the writing. So uh, yeah, yeah. I'm super irritated by this for some reason. I don't know why. I feel like there's like, dude, get Mads Mikkelsen in here, okay? <laughs> we need Mads Mikkelsen. Right. Somebody will scare the crap out of you if you, you know, run into him. So, I just, all right. Yeah. <clears throat> Have you looked at recent pictures of Hugh Grant? He's I just kind posted of old some in our... and 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 I think I saw him in a movie recently. I I could see him. I I think he has the look that he could play a serious villain. In a is it, so you're in a D and D campaign. He's got a you're in a D and D campaign. He's the bad guy. This is, is he going to no. be a drow? Is he no. going to be in blackface? <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> listen, listen, listen. He's got a boyish smile. I did see him in something recently. He <laughs> maybe was he in. Just, maybe he'll never smile. <laughs> he was yeah right. Don't know. He was the uh, director. Stop smiling, Grant. <laughs> He was in a an HBO series with Nicole Kidman recently, and it was kind of like a Gone Girl style, like weird murder mystery type thing. And he was the villain in that, and um, he wasn't very good. He played he played kind of the crazy like I'm an innocent guy very well. Okay, but well he's not an evil is, villain. Maybe this he's an is elf. A D movie. Okay, so, I know, but listen, we all heard I'm that Monster Hunter levels, was like not good. Our our ex I don't know about you, but my expectations of a D and D movie, I'm keeping that bar low. <laughs> I mean okay. And the two thousand version will still fail to meet your expectations. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it or not. This idiot oh, yeah, went to it. the theater to see it and I'm still regretting that seven. <laughs> okay. That was a bad that was a bad day. That's a bad day. So Chris Pine, uh, uh, I can't pronounce his name, uh, Reggae Jean Page, Sophia Lillis, Michelle Rodriguez, Hugh Grant, and Justice Smith are the four uh, cast members that have been announced for this film. And most of these people seem like real actors who can really portray parts in good movies. But man, this script better be good because this looks like Oh, this looks this, like I'm, a straight to DVD thing, and I'm I'm now I'm super paranoid. I'm just is, now I'm paranoid. It's not going to be straight to DVD. It's going to be an HBO Max release. You know what I mean, though. <laughs> I mean, it mean it, it's like oh well because of COVID and we knew no one was going to watch this, so we didn't yeah. put it out like we did Wonder Woman. We'll just yeah. make it streaming on HBO tomorrow. Okay, cool. It's awesome. Goodbye. Click. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got some real concerns. Maybe I shouldn't be concerned. This was this was the this was the first concern that I had, to be honest with you. Yeah. This one. And now it's calling into question everything else I know about this project. I, I think the problem is the only at least my opinion of watching, you know, uh film, whether it's indie films, actually it really is all indie films. The only films that I feel that have accurately that have done a good job with role playing games without it being super cheesy, are ones done by gamers that are on indie budgets. Like the gamer Darkness Rising, right? Everyone who's seen that. I mean, it's... The second one the, is good. Yeah, <laughs> the script the script is fine because it's it's a script written in the terminology of gamers for gamers. By yeah, gamers. that's not what this is, though. This is a Hollywood right. going. How do we put exactly. a sticker on this? How Which is why we... the bar is really low. 
I don't know. I I was all I was kind of on board with this until Hugh Grant came on. I hate to say Me this. Too. Me too. I just don't see it. Oh. Maybe, but you know, maybe he'll surprise me. Maybe he'll well, let's write me. the studio from your friends at Tabletop and Beyond because they care. <laughs> the only way to get the only way to salvage this is if you make him a drow. <laughs> please, please continue reading. We are about to save you tons of money. <laughs> where's first off? Question number one: Where's Mads Mickelson, and how do you get him here? <laughs> exactly. And why, why have you alienated Mads? <laughs> There's other good bad guys. There's the guy in No Country for Old Men. Oh, yeah. There's bad Javier, guys uh, out there. Yeah. Jeez. Ha- right, Javier Bardem, right? Yeah, yeah. He's really good. There's tons dude, of he's, freaky he's dudes. Dude, he's creepy. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Let's get Daniel Day-Lewis in here. You know he'll method act the crap out of this. <laughs> dude, that would be the best. He would be playing RPGs in the corner. He oh, would, gosh. That would be his method. Yes. It would be fantastic. Yeah. Okay. All right, I feel better about this now. And if you could, if you could, if he could work in the "I'll drink your milkshake" line, <laughs> like that would be phenomenal. All right, let's go to our next bullet. Ooh. All right, this is good news. Hero Forge announced three new wheelchair options for custom miniatures. The three wheelchairs available under the mount section of the miniature creation site include two fantasy variations the town wheelchair and the battle wheelchair and one modern option, which is similar to medical hospital wheelchairs. The wheelchairs can be painted uh, for color miniatures and have custom options for wheels and handles with multiple poses available. The announcement came on March one, which is international wheelchair day. That's cool. You You can now, you can now be professor X. Right. And people need to see themselves in gaming. I, I think that's really important. And in my professional life, I I do a lot of things. Well, the people that work for me do a lot of things that help differently abled people because um, I have some responsibilities over that. So I saw this and uh, it was a feel good, feel good story. Here, uh, thank you, Hero Forge, for realizing that, you know, different there's gamers out there that would like to see themselves on the on the table. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's nice. All right, here is a follow-up news story from our very last episode where we talked about the Far Verona controversy. Oh, yeah, okay. A Kickstarter campaign titled The Perfect RPG. Bad title, by the way. If you're going to title something perfect, it's going <laughs> to yeah. go bad. Yeah. Caused controversy over the weekend due to its inclusion of Adam Koble. I'm going to say his name wrong. Adam Koble as a designer on the project. The project created by Kickstarter vice president of community and former head of games for the company, Luke Crane, featured an impressive list of over 20 designers. Koble was previously embroiled in a controversy last year when he is a game master, which we reported last week. On a live stream, Far Verona role played out the sexual assault of a player character without the player's foreknowledge or consent. The incident led to the cancellation of the live stream and Koble's removal from future live streams on Ooh. the Roleplay Network, as well as Modifius's, as well as Modifius to remove him as a developer on the Dune role-playing game. Several designers working on the perfect RPG stated via social media posts that they were unaware of Koble's involvement prior to the Kickstarter going live. Crane canceled the project within oh hours gosh. of the launch after several of the creators requested to be removed. Oh my god. In a backer only post on Kickstarter, Crane said that he quote decided to cancel the project 
as I can no longer offer you what was promised. Many designers withdrew or were harassed to withdraw due to my including Ab Adam uh, Coble as a designer of, of, sorry, a designer of one of these games, close quote. Bam. Dude. Um, so, okay. This is the issue that I have. Many designers withdrew or were harassed to withdraw. Yeah. Okay. What's like, going on? I mean, here's the thing. Like, all right, that dude, we, we talked about it last, last yeah, time. Yeah, we, we've covered that it dude, in detail. Yeah, to so that dude screwed 25. up. He did a mea culpa, right? Like, did a whole long a lot apology of, A tweet. lot of apology. A lot of apologizing. Right? He lost his stream. He lost his other stuff. I don't think, I mean, this is my opinion, but I don't think it's fair to cancel that whole project, even though he had like one twentieth of a part in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you go and review that part, unless it has like some <clears throat> sort of like sexual issue that he had, you know what I mean? Like, if it's if it's pretty benign and it's fine, like, I would just acknowledge, hey, we had this on here, you know, like he's not with us anymore, but we're still moving forward because all of these other designers did a great job. Like, yeah. you know, it. Yeah. Well, they called it the perfect RPG. They, did they okay, just all right. For the universe to come and take a poop <laughs> on their front door. Um, I, I, I don't. I think can't. That this is like straight up cancel culture. I yep. mean, if if you let well, let me put it this way: if your business model requires social media to be positive and for you to get the word out and for people to be linking and you know this is social media right now podcasting yeah and the antibodies in social media come out to attack you there's no way you're going to get any traction over social media you know i was thinking about this the other day um and i think that uh like the the gamer that especially the tabletop gaming community is heavily invested in Twitter. I mean, there's a, they're all, everybody's on Twitter, right? And, and they're doing their things there. Um, I think I've said on the show, I loathe Twitter. I think it is the bathroom yeah. wall of the internet. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of, it's, it kind of sucks that, you know, your industry is so heavily involved or, or so heavily vested in this uh, Twitter sphere that if the mob comes for you, it doesn't matter the good work you've done. It has to get scrapped because the mob has told you to burn it down. Yeah, and to be clear, what this guy did was, like we said it last week, was super creepy, wrong and weird and lame and nasty and just ridiculous. But if you actually yeah. watch the stream, it's... I mean, how much of this guy's life are we going to you know, right. destroy? Really? Yeah, I mean, is there a limit? Yeah, are, exactly. Are, are we? Can we overcorrect? I mean, yes, he gets it now. We've all survived this, but it, are some people's victimhood being inflated by this? I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm minimizing other people that have had bad experiences, but have they all had bad experience with role playing games, or does everything that happened in a role playing game have to be a reflection of life? So if you shoot right. if you shoot a, a a bullet based gun at somebody and kill a bad guy, is that going to trigger somebody who who is who had to witness gun violence? I mean, come on. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I don't know where the line is, but uh, that seemed like a 
big deal that I I'm having a hard time wrapping my arms around. Well, and it was a year ago and this is now happening. I mean, like, holy smokes. This was over the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're talking, you know, this guy, this, this, you know, I feel bad for him. You know, I'm I'm not going to condone anything that like condone what happened, but I do feel bad for him because this was, that was a life altering five minutes for him. Yeah. Because he's become an internet pariah. Yep. And when was the last time we had an internet pariah that everybody could stand around in a circle and just kick their ribs in? Britney um, Spears. Who <laughs> didn't deserve any of that, by the way. What did she actually do? She, she was, rose too fast. She, ro- she rose. She cut her hair too short dude. one time. I don't know. She was Icarus. She Oops, float, I did she it flew again. Too, she flew too close to the sun. Yeah, she was too popular. Too. I don't know. So anyway, I don't <laughs> The perfect RPG is clearly fraught with imperfections. So, uh-huh. um, I hope whatever they had, those whatever idea, where what what is stopping this guy from just writing under a, a different name for freak's sake? Uh, that's what I would do at this point. It's like, I come would... on, get a pen name like everybody else and their dog. Yep, that's yep. like an IQ and... test one hundred and one. And you know what's interesting is I bet if he had gone to Modifius and said, hey, this thing happened. I'm trying to put it behind me. This is all the stuff I've done. Just to be on the safe side, I'm going to start writing under a pen name. I bet you Modifius would have said, okay, good to know. You yeah. know? I mean, because they would have said, listen, we got a talented developer and a game designer, and, uh, you know, it's okay. Like, we understand what's going on. But when they get the spotlight put on them, when Modifius gets the spotlight put on them, they have to. You know what I mean? Otherwise, the Twitter mob will burn them down, too. Right. So, so if you depict rape in an RPG, are you a rapist? I mean... Did he? Has this guy ever raped anyone right. in real life? Sure, he grossed out people and probably made them feel terribly uncomfortable, and they shouldn't be friends with him, and they shouldn't play with him anymore, and he should apologize, you know, and all that stuff. But I don't want to come down on the this guy's side, but at the same time, I'm just kind of bothered by the overcorrection. Yeah, the overcorrection is kind of forcing you to defend him a little bit, which feels uncomfortable. It, I, I think it comes down <laughs> with a sense of justice where. <laughs> does the punishment meet the crime right and the, the crime is available to watch on the internet yeah i don't know you be the judge at home listener go watch the weird fart verona video and you judge time out. we told them we told them last week don't go look at it <laughs> yeah this time maybe you should so we can all feel creeped out That's together true. collectively because misery loves company <laughs> I, yeah. I, <clears throat> I think that this is an example of someone that's just not paying attention, though. Anyone who is an Internet sensation that is in any way connected to the world that we live in today and the societies we have today would have not done what he did. Yeah. 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 Would yeah. have not done what he you've did. Got, you've got to – you have to um, – Even, even if his – yeah, even if his inclination is to truly be that type of a person, yeah, anyone with the head on their shoulders would not have done that in a medium platform that yeah. would have had wide, wide exposure to that community. And the internet yeah. so doesn't I, go I, away. I question the whole thing. It's so there. I yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, the whole thing is this is very problematic. This is why I'm glad I'm not a judge. I mean, think about it. It's like, at what point in time have you paid your debt to society over the internet? 
for <laughs> for bad internet behavior. I mean, I I honestly don't know the answer, and I I I, I think he's he's been fired off of two projects, uh, or and has had something that he did. Probably he was getting some kind of revenue off of the the live stream. Maybe I'm guessing question mark question mark, but. I think he just needs to go deliver pizzas or work at Home Depot or something. Get out of gaming. Yeah. Might, yep. Or, or 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 uh, do the do the pen name, do the pseudonym. Do you the know? pseudonym or drive Uber. No, nobody checks your internet history if you drive an <laughs> Uber. Right. <laughs> Could you imagine? They're like, oh hey, they get in the car and they're like, <gasps> you're you. that guy. <laughs> you simulated an android. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. We've beat this one to a this. We've beaten this horse dead. So don't worry. You can't play the perfect RPG, people. You can't play it. It's gone. <laughs> you can never make play this our the topic perfect tonight? RPG. I mean. <laughs> well, it's it, we're forty eight minutes in, guys. Let's <laughs> talk hilarious. about mystery. All right. So our main topic of the night. Thank you for the news, Dan. We appreciate it. Um, our main topic of the night is um, how to plan a proper mystery in, in your for your RPG group. Uh, so whether it be a session, whether it be a couple of uh, you know a, a, a couple session arc, um, like what makes a good mystery? So I'm gonna kick that question, uh, you know, just to start us off, uh, Dan and Jason, over to you guys. Like, what makes a good mystery in an RPG session? I have an answer. Don't completely stump the players from minute one to the end of the session. Don't do okay. it. You have okay. to trickle. They have to get from one lily pad of information to another lily yep. pad, yep. to a twist. All that stuff has to be there. Because if you yeah. think that you're, you've planned the best mystery by providing no clues, you're horribly, terribly wrong. So, so what I'm taking from what you just said is a good mystery session needs to have lily pads, like you said, where they're jumping from point A to point B to point C, you know, on down the line to where they end up solving it, right? Um, it can't be a kind of like, we have no idea where to go, no idea what we're doing, uh, like, and then all of a sudden a big reveal at the end and they're like, wait, what, ha what just happened, Right. Right. You're not doing a good job as a GM if you're not constructing a web of intersections of people, places, and things. Let me ask you something. Um, we have all seen or read Sherlock Holmes novels and things like that, right? Um, do you think that those translate well into RPG mysteries? Uh, it, it can be done. And let me tell you how I do it. And um I do mind mapping. So go online and look up mind mapping. You start with a bubble with a blurb of words in the middle of it. And then you start uh -huh. connecting things that have happened before the session happened. Talk about why things happened, when things happened, who did what to who, when, and just uh -huh. build out that fabric of a story. And I take an 11 by 17 piece of paper and I start in the middle. Usually I'm going to guess you got that from your government job. Uh, I know. I love nobody 11 has by 11 by no, 17. I love 11 by house. 17. Nobody no, has that it. at their house. I buy it. I buy. Yes, okay. my spouse. I know. I don't. <laughs> I don't steal things from my government job, Justin. No, eleven seventeen. I I learned that by Edward, Doctor Edward Tufty of Yale, who has written okay. many books on information on on conveying information visually, 
and he used to have a great seminar in Crystal City, Virginia. When you and he gave away these beautiful hardbound books as part of his takeaways, and a lot of it was. If people are reading your stuff, use use an 11 by 17 because you can fit a lot of information on 11 by 17 yeah. and keep that within your field of vision, right? And that's really important. It's the same yeah. process as whiteboarding, right? Right. Your your mind will start making those connections. And so just start out with one little one little piece of information in a bubble and build the thing out and make it messy. Sometimes I've done two versions of the same mind map. The first one, I, I let myself scribble and draw and make weird connections all over. And then maybe I'll do another one that's a little cleaner that I can refer to during the game that, that has a little bit more spatial logic to it. But it's usually the exact same content. It's funny so, because like yeah, when ahead, I'm at Jason. when I'm at work, whenever anybody sends me a slide deck and they're like, Hey, could you add a slide on this one topic? I'm like, sure, and I open up it's in a four by three and I'm like, No, 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 I can't. <laughs> Sixteen by nine or get out. Yep. yep. <laughs> I always get confused where it's like maximize or ensure fit. I don't understand what that means. <laughs> I made all my uh, I made all my <laughs> contractors move all of our templates over to sixteen by nine. They're like, We just spent all this time doing four by three. I'm like are you watching anything on four yep. by three anywhere exactly. ever now? Exactly. No, yeah. we'll cut it out. Sorry. I'll stop. So, um, well, so easier. let me ask, let me ask you this. Uh, and I think you, you hit on an important point, Dan, which is, um, when you're doing your mind mapping, um, you're doing a lot of, um, pre-work in terms of the session, meaning that you're doing a lot of, you have to do a lot of world building, because there's a parallel story that's going on to what the characters are experiencing in a sense, right? There's a there's a mystery, whether it be a murder or a treasure hunt, um, there you know some sort of riddle thing that they've got to solve. There's a mystery that's going on, and that mystery has got some backstory. Yeah. That mystery has got um, some history. You know that mystery has got some parallel relevance. Like they're they're like something may be pushed along in parallel to while the um, while the uh, party is solving something. Something else may be going on to you know get the get the quote-unquote mystery if you think of the mystery as a as an npc of itself yeah. it's got to have its own little arc and movement as well to keep up with the players so the mystery is just what happened in the past it's the past mm -hmm. it's the past tense right yep and what the players are doing is what's now and what's not or on the oh, what they're going to prevent yeah, 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 yeah. right, right. So if, if you're trying to peel back the layers of a story and why I think the mind map way is, is a really useful tool is that when you see the players working on one corner of the mind map, there's two or three other connections to other things that are relevant, logical, and make yeah. sense. So you just answered the question why in your own brain is the GM. You know why things happened the way they did. So you have to, you get to make up less things up on the fly. And then your narrative yep. is from a mystery standpoint, your narrative is a lot more airtight. They have a lot more, oh, I get it now. And at the same time, sometimes your players will come up with an idea in the middle of the session that's better than yours. And go with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can roll with it. And, and I mean, if you're, if you're smart, I mean, like if you've done that mind mapping, you can say, okay, this would easily tie into x y or z that i have mapped out right and you can steer them into something that uh you know that they can take and run with and have a great time with um and you can help them push if they're heading in the wrong direction you know the next lily pad to kind of put your laser pointer on 
um, yeah. and see if they bite and head and turn and right right themselves towards what's really going to be satisfying at the end of the session. So you know, I was thinking about this. You know, let's say we're we're reading Sherlock Holmes or something like that, and I you know there's elements of mystery in there and, I, and we can talk about that in a minute, but from a jam perspective, I don't think that reading a mystery um, is necessarily super helpful in a sense, because really you need to be thinking like the author. Yeah. So reading, reading the mystery from the character's perspective is unhelpful. Reading the mystery from the author's perspective is very helpful, you know, um, because what that means is that you've got to, you've got to think about like, okay, what did the author have to think about, um, to get this, like all sort of this web of mystery laid out so that Sherlock Holmes could hit on a node here or a node there and start making the connections, right? Like how did he lay that out? So, um, you know, when you're watching a movie or reading a book from inspiration, I think that you should look at it from the author or writer's perspective, not the characters. The character is a fun story, but that's your players. Your players are the characters. Right, and one of the things when you're watching a Sherlock Holmes movie or any any or TV show or any of that stuff, usually the detective is assembling what happened in the past in a non-linear way. Uh-huh. Rarely do they go the the killer went from step one to step two to step three to step four to step five. Usually they get step five and then two and then one and then three, and they're assembling yeah. the thing in their heads, right? Well, that's not actually what makes the mystery fun is putting the pieces together in a, in, in a nonlinear way and lining it up. So um, That's a great point. And so if, just think about that. Think about deconstructing it and think about it. Obviously, most, you know, if it's a murder mystery, you usually start with a crime scene. Well, the crime scene is step five, right? Yep. You know, you, you, if, when you know the motivations of who's doing what, uh, to whom, when, where, and why— you know, you you don't have to write that out in a paragraph way. You can assemble it. I use mind map. You can use anything. I need post-it notes can be a great way too, because you can move them around. You know, Kanban style and stuff like that. So you know, just uh, it's it, it, make sure that the story works because if the players get the sense that they're playing in lost the show lost or the writers are just making <laughs> stuff up from one minute to the next, they're going to call BS and they're going to turn into murder hobos and say, well, it doesn't matter. Why don't we just shoot this guy? <laughs> Done. Right? right. But when the story yeah. could, when things start clicking and when they put one, two and three and five together and then it bangs in their head, they're like, Oh, I get what's happening. And then they reveal it to everybody at the table and everybody's jaws drop and they look at you at the GM and you try to wipe the smile on your, off your face. It's a great moment. It's a great moment. So Jason, what do you think are, um, important elements of a mystery? You have to have, um, you have to have, uh, well, a story, (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's good. Right, yes. right. Step gotta, one. Yeah. Step um, one. I don't. I don't know here because I think that um, there's there's some. It, it depends on what genre genre we're playing okay, inside okay. of, right? So if I think of like a Call of Cthulhu yeah. game, which is is kind of a it's a mystery game. Yeah. Um, 
uh, or an investigative, however you want to do it. There has to be, you know, some sinister, I think, in that kind of a game, there has to be a something is something is not the, the reality I see is not the reality of that's going on. And I have to figure out what what is really happening. Yep. So I think there's a there's there's a world behind the curtain. No, that's a very the, good point. The, right. There's a world behind the curtain. And you've got to find the players have to be teased enough at the beginning to know that there's something back there. Yeah, and then you they have niggle to find, their brains. Yeah, and they have to find a way to trans to 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 be able to part the curtain. Um, and I think this is a problem. Yeah. Is I've sat down in an RPG session before, and you say, "All right, you've all come." We'll just give an example of, you know, like the start of Clue, or whatever. You yeah. all come to this uh, mansion. Here we are. We're down at dinner, and uh, here we are. And then everyone looks around and so I was like, um, can I roll the dice to see if there's a mystery that needs to be solved? Right. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> what's exactly. happening here, right? Exactly. Paint by numbers, yeah. yeah. Right. But now, I think you have to, yeah. I think there has to be a, a tease that there is, I'll say it again, that there is a world behind the curtain that needs to be exposed. So I think that that's uh, super true in Call of Cthulhu because there is that element of supernatural right, that's that hiding, genre. right? Yeah. Yes. Um, but I think it's very true in any mystery that you're running that there there is a – I think if you have the semblance of normalcy, but the players start to realize that yeah. something is awry, and they can be shocked into it by discovering a crime scene or something like that. Or, even better, they can sense that something's wrong, and then you all of a sudden hit that crime scene yeah. mm -hmm. later on. And they're like, oh my gosh, there is something here. You know what I mean? Almost like their suspicions were confirmed. And, um, you know, it's interesting you bring up Clue, because I think you're absolutely right. You sit everybody down at a dinner party in, in your little uh, RPG, and you're like, okay, you're all here. Like okay, well I'm this person. I don't know what you know. I don't, I don't know what to do. But if you were to give them a background of like okay, you're this person and you um, have these kinds of like these kinds of business dealings. You're here at this party because you know the host of this or that. You know what I mean? And and you're a little concerned about losing your business contract or something like that. You know what I mean? And really like when you watch Clue. The whole scene of them sitting at the table was just that. Like they were starting to reveal some of their yeah. player secrets, yeah. right? And, and player secrets um, are really fun, especially yep. if. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt here. No, you're you're good. Thought, but yep. Make sure everybody has one, and you have to yep. give one to everybody. And if you're in a you know playing with six players and you can't come up with that six secret, it can be difficult. But I usually want to give it out before the session starts. I don't like passing notes during the session. 100%. I, it always feels like it breeds mistrust. Um, and then everybody looks at the person who got the note. But when everybody knows they have a note and they're sitting on a little nugget that's going to come up at some great time, they will pull that thing out to have their moment. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's a cool moment for them, right? Um, I ran my... Um, at a catacon, you played this, Dan. I did. I read my um, my burb style. Uh, it was great, but everybody had a little player secret. Remember, like, because um, you were all villagers. Yeah. Um, there, yeah. and you had little secrets. Some of them were more benign than others, but um, 
boy, if they didn't come up like at great times, like somebody's like, wait a minute, my sheep have been disappearing. You know what yeah. I mean? And everyone's <laughs> like, wait, what? Like, you yeah. know, like what's happening? <laughs> and so um, what was great about those player secrets, I thought, in my opinion, is they added to the mystery. They, d- they did what you were saying, Jason, is they, they niggled the brain that something was <laughs> not right. Yeah. Right. I think something... I think my. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, something wasn't right and they knew that they needed to get to the bottom of it. And so then they started to dig. Yeah. my One of my favorite player secrets that I gave out was um, in uh, an apple in her eye. I made uh, apple in her eye is a uh, Shadow the Demon Lord adventure one shot. Oh, I remember this one. This yeah, great. and when it starts, um, well, I give out a lot of player secrets, but the one I'm thinking of specifically, when it starts, right, They the players are coming into town, and I gave them all player secrets as to why they're coming into town. But yeah. as they're coming into town, they find basically like a little kid tied to like a scarecrow post uh, in an apple orchard, right, in the middle of the night. And um, and bad things are coming for the kid, and that's how that's how it starts. And they have to then. There's a little bit of a mystery there. Why is this kid tied to a scarecrow post? You know, and yeah, let's go to town and town and see if we can find this kid's parents. <laughs> one of the player, one of the player secrets I gave out was you are the estranged father of a of a of a a boy. Like you know, you have you know you passed by this town years ago, like like five like uh, I think I say like nine years ago you passed through this town. You had a great one night stand with like an awesome you know, barmaid or something. And then as they're untying this kid and talking to the kid, they find out this kid's nine years old. <laughs> and this one player, I'm just watching this one player and his eyes are like, oh boy. And he keeps looking down at his, his like player secret. What do I do? What do I do? He's what like, do wait, do? A minute, wait, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's like, wait, who's your mom? And he says the mom's name. He's like, oh no, the part, that's what her name was. That's what her name was. <laughs> I hope you didn't trigger that guy. What yeah. if he grew up with a single parent? Yeah. Uh, so then it, what's funny great. is that throughout, you know, I ran that adventure with a couple different groups. And on one of the groups, um, the, they were kind of like, yeah, whatever. We don't need this kid. And one of the, yeah. They were like, they were like, oh, okay, well, we'll just, you know, kid, the town is that way. And but then the, the one player was like, no, I, th- I think we need to take care of this boy. We need to walk him home. You know, and it's, it's <laughs> so it was it was fun to kind of yeah. roll that in and, yeah. and tie it in. But the player seek, I guess the takeaway there is that the player secrets. Well, some of them can be benign. They they yep. probably need to be connected to that world behind the curtain a little yes. bit. Yes. Yep. To draw um, them in. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, did you guys ever see the movie um, Identity with John Cusack and Ray Liotta? Uh, yeah, but I don't. I'm not drawing. I'm drawing a blank, but I have seen it. So the story goes that a whole bunch of strangers show up at this motel, and like somebody dies, right? Somebody's murdered. They all try to leave. All the all the bridges are washed out. Like it's like a giant storm, right? Flash flood. So they all have to go back, and Ray Ray Liotta. Um and or let's see, John Cusack is a cop in there, right? And um, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Turns out that all these characters—I'm spoiling the movie, but it came out in 2000, so sorry, guys. 2003, so spoil it. Yeah, so it turns out that all of these characters are personas inside John Cusack, the real John Cusack. Right. Right. And so, which was okay. I mean, the thing is, is that was like, it wasn't like the end spoiler, right? This was like maybe a third of the way in. It's a mid-spoiler. You're like, oh, crap. But what's happening is like these cops have John Cusack there and they're like, okay, we know that you've got a bunch of different personalities in there. There's a killer in there. We need you to out that person and deal with him. 
basically kill off that killer personality, right? So John Cusack kind of has to go back into the motel area and figure out who's doing the killings and all that stuff. And it's all it's all a mystery. My my whole point about all of this was is that the interesting thing is is they were you know um, identifying the characters as you kind of came in. They all had a a great little backstory of why they were there, and some of the stuff was totally relevant. Some of it was not. It just yeah. gave the character personality, right? Um, but it all started to like connect as the mystery was unraveling as well. So um, I think that when you talked, Dan, earlier about um, peeling the onion, right? If you look at the mystery as a giant onion, you want, to, you want them to get through layer and layer yeah. or the lily pad on lily pad is kind of the other analogy. Yep. Um, you want some of those secrets to not just connect to the first layer of the onion, but like the third and fourth layers, right? right? right. And and that way it just hooks them in deeper and may even cause some interesting party dynamics because all of a sudden this person knew, um, you know, like like maybe they get to a crime scene and there's a matchbook and there's um, that person used to bartend at that bar, right. Right, right. You know what I mean? No, and like, I mean, oh, wow, this is kind of weird, you know? So, and, I mean, if you can hook them into the different parts of it, then that keeps them super engaged. What you need to do is understand the detail of your world building without running linear detail, right? You don't yeah. know which direction the characters are going to go, left, right, straight. So when they turn left, you need to know the detail of left. When they turn right, you need to know the detail yep. of right to pull those threads all the way through. And that really, really matters a lot. Now, let me tell you another thing. Most RPGs have to manage mystery because most RPGs are adventure stories. Adventure, the definition right. of adventure is not knowing the end from the beginning. So there's gonna be almost, there's usually an element of mystery into every session I've ever sat down and yeah. to. Um, it's a matter of how big or how little that comes into play. In, in some stories, it's always about looking for who the bad guy is or peeling the rubber mask off, you know, the the the, the old, uh, you know, prospector or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's different degrees of that. And you as a GM have to understand how, how to manage mystery, even if you're playing a, a, a not a mystery theme thing. You're not doing Sherlock right. Holmes. You're not doing, you know, intrepid call of Cthulhu investigators. So there's always a balance there. And so understanding how to make, how to use mystery to keep everybody engaged in the story and not to undermine frustrate and alienate the players is your number one task. You uh, know, I was think, sorry, Jason. I, I was just thinking that um, really quickly, Lord of the Rings, an adventure story, they get into the minds of Moria, there's a mystery in there. Right. How did all of these dwarves die? Right. They knew there was goblins, but then they get in the tomb of Balin, right, and they read the book, and they're like, oh, crap. And then it turns back into a, an adventure story yeah. again, right, with consequences. Right. Is, but and is, Frodo, is Frodo dead when they're at the gates of Moria, and how does that, cha- how does that change anything, yep. right? So, yeah. All good stories are going to have gaps in information, um, and and you uh, GMs can't use that gap of information as a way of manipulating the players. You have to use it as a way of manipulating the narrative to engage the players. That's my main point. Yeah. So I've been th- I was thinking about that last point, not the last one, but the one before that you made, Dan, about how all uh, most RPGs have some element of mystery in them. 
And I've been pondering that as we've been talking. Um, and I think that there are definitely some RPG sessions that probably from the player's perspective have no no mystery, where you're just dungeon crawling for treasure. Right, right. Um, and there may be elements of mystery in there, but from, like I said, from the player's perspective, they just don't care. And so they don't see the mystery. Right. They just, so like, they're just uh, moving from one level to the next level. <laughs> the mystery is what's around the corner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or so how to defeat question, the trap. Right. Yeah. 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 So that thinking about that has kind of led me to uh, maybe a question. And what what is the difference between a mystery and just a really big puzzle? Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, well, what's the payoff, right? If the players uncovering the mystery is the big milestone that everybody's working towards collectively, then that is a straight up mystery. Sometimes the big milestone is to kill the Balrog, right? That's the milestone. Mm-hmm. So, and there's lots of mysteries to get to the point where you can kill the Balrog, but you, you don't, you don't just show up in your first encounter and say, today we're fighting the Balrog people. Right. That's my, See, I, that's my response to your question. I, I disagree. Hmm. I, I disagree a little bit. I think that, um, I think, uh, you know, we have to fight the Balrog. We need to figure out what we need to do to do that is a giant puzzle. Um, and, okay. and I think I think part of uh, I think part of it the difference is that in a mystery, um, there's there's some investigative elements to it, right? right. Like you almost have to put on mm, your okay, Sherlock yeah. you have to put on your Sherlock Holmes hat a little bit. Um, I think that you're also trying to figure out motive of like in certain things, you know, like um, even if it's like a on a treasure hunt mystery type of thing, you may be like, well, okay, is there like who put this treasure here? Why is it here? Like, does that help us understand? You know what I mean? So you're trying to get like some motive with a ball rod. You're like, we're trying to kill this thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, now you could have an element of mystery of like, okay, well to kill the ball rod, we need to go find the, the sword. Where would the sword be? And all of a sudden that turns into a mystery of right. like who, 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 who last had the sword, you know what I mean? Or, or whatever it is. I, you know, I'm just spitballing there, but right. Um, I think the overall arching thing of like trying to kill the bar- Balrog is basically they're saying like, okay, we have a couple of check boxes that we need to do to make sure that we can beat him, and it's a puzzle to figure out how we get all those things. Whereas like a mystery, there's there's elements of motive, intrigue, there's um, uh, uh, t- a twist in there. You you talked about you a twist a at the twist, very beginning. Yeah. Twists are really you know? important. There's a twist in there. Um, there's uh, red herrings that are flying out all over the place, you know? I mean, so yeah. I think that there's elements of a mystery that um, could lead players astray that make them think, you know, they've got to analyze yeah. more yeah. Um, versus like a puzzle is just kind of put, compiling the different pieces together to accomplish X. So it, yeah, I think it's a good answer. If you've got a, a, a party of player characters that are all hyper-optimized to dungeon crawl and to just fight, the mystery game is going to not be as fun. It'll be a little bit more frustrating, right? Yeah. If you have a more balanced party that's good at lots of different things, then you'll have two or three players who are getting to use those muscles on their character that they usually don't get to do in a fight, right? Yep. And in those situations, you might worry that those two out of four, five to six players are kind of taking over because everybody else who rolls comes up buckus because all they're good at is is they're they're just their their armor class, right? So, <clears throat> you 
think about the movie that you're making with these characters and you as the GM don't really get to write the characters. The characters are written by the players, but you're, you're making a movie for them to be in. And if they're hyper optimized to be dumb and to kill, well, you're going to have to make the mystery something that doesn't require the game mechanic to, to be satisfying. So requires killing to make progress. You got to kill a guy, right? So, uh, Dan, I think that a great example of doing this is The Expanse. <laughs> because think about it. They've got a mystery right now, right? They're trying to figure out, especially in the first couple of seasons, they're trying to figure out who's behind these weird attacks, like what's going on. Like they're, they're in the middle of a mystery yeah. while trying to put out fires. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they're, they are in the middle of a mystery. But th- look at who you have the party. You've got kind of the charismatic leader who doesn't want to lead. You've got the brute yep. right there. You've got, You've the, got the tinker. and the pilot. Yeah. yeah, and the pilot. I mean, those are four different things. But they always have a role to play in the situations that they do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so... Um, what's interesting is I think when you think about the, your brain cloud mapping and the lily pads that you do, you can maybe insert certain things of like, okay, yep. well maybe there's a Weasley guy at this, that this guy that, you know, with a little bit of intimidation, he'll crack like a walnut, you know and, what I mean? And there, <clears throat> there's a brute that can like, uh, you know, threaten, threaten to punch his lights out if he doesn't talk. You know, you know, and, um, and if you build a very rich texture of, of of a background to the story, you can start connecting up NPCs from other missions. You can start connecting up people that your player characters know. And you can uh-huh. get them invested in new ways, and look for opportunities for great role playing. And they can do that even as a fighter or a barbarian. Yeah. You know, once you put that guy's cousin on the board, it's like, oh, okay, here's a thing. I gotta. This is yep. this is not just yet another cobalt to smash. This is a, this is a conversation. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't really matter what your charisma score is sometimes in those, in those circumstances. Right. Cause your family or whatever. Right. So I, let me talk, yeah. let's say one more thing about the mind mapping. Uh, I'm at the point where, when I, I buy, I bought about seven hardbound standalone adventures, you know, to run for star Wars. I uh, have to get out and mind map all that stuff. Right. Even though it's not my story, I still figure out who's talking to who and what and where and why is this happening. I have to do that just to get my brain wrapped around the purpose oh, of the story. So it can, it, whether you're doing a mystery or not, it can be a, a, a really great way to, it, it, instead of running a mission completely linearly, okay, now we're in counter three, next encounter four, it's a great way to do sandbox gaming where the players feel like they're driving the story and you're providing the universe for them to go drive around in instead of they can, instead of when they feel the rails underneath their feet. And we've talked about yeah. that a lot on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I think sort of to sum this up and please fill in the gaps if I, if I don't do a good enough job. Uh, if you, as a GM, want to run a mystery adventure for your players, um, the, I think the best thing to do is do some prep work, right? Figure out what is the mystery that you're trying to do. Put that at the center and then mind map the history of it, right, as you talked about. Because really, they're trying to uncover the history to maybe it's to prevent something. Maybe it's to discover something. Maybe it's to give them another clue to do X, Y, Z. But the point is, is they've got a goal to unravel that map that out, 
make your lily pads, make the connective, you know, the connections between all of those um, in multiple ways and um, just really know it before you dump your players into it as well. And by the way, this uh, identity movie has a great cast. John Cusack, Ray Liotta, Amanda Peet, Alfred Molina. It has John C. McGinney from Scrubs. I'm so going to watch this. Listen, it's a great, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was great. I have to check it out now that you spoiled it. Now I really gotta watch. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm no, you'll. I think you'll enjoy it regardless. Yeah, cool. So I only spoiled like the third, the the twist in the third part of it. You know. So, so our topic next week is a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or part two of this discussion. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think next week may I you know I I'm uh we touched on a lot of the stuff that we might might have talked about next week but i still though i think that there's a discussion to be had about um applying it in and actually running it and maybe in different genres so like what does a mystery look like in shadow run versus D? you know because yeah. i think uh, there's uh, there's similarities but i think that there's also a lot of differences as well too yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah you know so that might be that might be a fun topic but anyway yeah. thank you everybody for listening uh do you guys have any parting words you'd like to share Stay safe. <laughs> Stay safe out there, people. <laughs> and when you feel safe, in-person game as much as you can. Yes. Absolutely. As much as your uh, tolerances and the, your tolerances of your players are, are compatible. Yes. And uh, don't trigger anybody like we talked about last time. Yeah. Use appropriate uh, um, racial terms. That's right. Yes. Don't. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Know which ones are no longer no longer usable. Right. right. Yeah. Listen, I still think it's usable. <laughs> Can somebody please troll Justin with that one? That's not me. I mean, there's so many things. There's an okay, oriental let's, let's short in. hair as a cat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's thank in. you, everybody, so much for uh, listening, and we will catch you next week. Good night. All right. See you. All right. <laughs>